So speaking of someone who has thought of ways to engage a broken and fragmented culture, our speaker today is a great example of that. George Green is well known to many of you in the Charleston community. For those of you who are new to Charleston, uh, George is a uh, brilliant engineer. He has a doctorate in chemical engineering from Tulane, a master's from Columbia, a bachelor's in chemical engineering from the University of Florida. He founded General Engineering Laboratories, which grew into one of the largest privately held engineering firms in the country. Uh, he and his wife, Molly, uh, in responding to what had happened in Honduras during Hurricane Mitch, founded a ministry called Water Mission. And that ministry has grown and grown and grown and has literally served millions of people all around the world. I've had the privilege of participating in several trips to other countries where uh, I've been part of a water mission team that was giving the first drink of clean water to people that had never had that before. They are on the front lines of disaster relief all around the world. Uh, but the beautiful thing about Water Mission is that they are primarily and fundamentally committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that they serve. And that is something that is rare in this culture, and they do it in a way that is full of grace. George and uh, Molly were recognized uh, with all kinds of accolades, including the Order of the Palmetto. Uh, we are just delighted to have George with us today. So please welcome George Green. Thank you, Brian. I think if I were smart, I'd just stop right now and ask if there are any questions. <laughs> but I've never been accused of being that smart. So um, I do want to thank you all for coming today. Um, when I was invited to speak, um, I thought, what can I say that might be somehow meaningful uh, to you gentlemen today? And honestly, I've struggled with it. And uh, yesterday, the struggle... I uh, went to a new level when I remembered that two months ago, Bishop Edgar was up here speaking, and last month, Alan Runyon, who argues cases before the Supreme Court, was up here speaking, and now you've got an engineer. <laughs> and I, I mean, by the time I realized it was too late to do anything about it, so um, I thought what I'd do is just spend a few minutes and... And when you get to be my age, you have to kind of hit the milestones. So I'm going to talk about the important milestones in my life that uh, resulted in Water Mission and a Global Water Center. And I, I hope if I have a few minutes towards the end, I can tell you a little bit about what's going on in those two ministries. <clears throat> um, I'm going to start, I'm going to fast forward with the first milestone in uh, December. 1969, and I was a graduate student at Tulane, and um, one of the graduate students had a Christmas party, and I went to the Christmas party, and I met this uh, beautiful young lady, and, and she was so charming, she just stood out in a crowd, and, and um, I found out, her, I met her, and her name was Molly Feemster, and um, she was from Tupelo, Mississippi, 
and her uncle had delivered Elvis, and she had just graduated from Mississippi State College for Women. And any of you who are familiar with Mississippi State College for Women will know that she majored in Southern manners. And she just made you feel good when you were in a room. She made you feel like you were the only person there. Well, for me, it was love at first sight. Uh, it took Molly a few days before she came to that same conclusion. And so the next milestone that brings me to was July the 25th, 1970. Molly and I were married. And um, I continued my studies at Tulane. When I completed, I went to uh, at my first job was with an engineering company in um, uh, Germany. And that brings me to the next milestone, February the 9th, 1974, when our daughter Jenny was born in Frankfurt. And I continued working for that engineering company for a while. They transferred us back to the United States. And, and uh, after a little bit, I, went, uh, I left that company and went to work for Exxon Research and Engineering. And we lived in New Jersey. Which brings me to the next milestone, October the 30th, 1976, when our son, George IV, was born. And he's sitting back here in the back, normally to uh, keep me honest and, uh, and uh, answer any questions that y'all might have at the end of the thing. So George was a real blessing to us. But another thing happened about that time, shortly after George was born. And I have to go back for a few minutes to early childhood. I grew up in the Episcopal Church in a little town in central Florida. Molly grew up in the Presbyterian Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. But we were both in that group of people that I would today say didn't know that they didn't know. I did not know that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus until I was in my mid-30s. And what precipitated that was two children in our family, and Molly said one day, um, you know, we both grew up in a church. Maybe we should find a church that kids could go to church to in. And I said, fine, that sounds like a, like a good idea to me. And we were blessed to find a little Episcopal church near us in New Jersey that nurtured both of us into a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Well, about that same time as my prayer life was growing, <clears throat> I began to get this feeling that I Maybe I didn't want to work for a large company for my career. Maybe I wanted to go do something on my own because I had grown up in a family that was in a small business. My father and my grandfather were, uh, were drug, they called them druggists back then because they were chemists. They made the, the, the you didn't just pull, pour pills out of a bottle. You had to make up the prescriptions back then. And so um, um, I began praying about that and which brings me to the next milestone, and it was um, a cold winter night, February, in 1981. And we both wanted, Molly and I wanted to move back south. We wanted to be on the coast. And we were thinking about starting an environmental consulting business and testing lab in Charleston because it's on the coast and it was close to my parents in Florida and Molly's family in Tupelo. But I had a good career and at, uh, at Exxon, and I had a family that I needed to support. And so I was lying in bed that night, and I said, um, Lord, I need to know, is this what you want me to do? And this was the first of two times in my life when I heard God speak to me. 
It wasn't a, a, an audible, uh, a booming sound. It wasn't thunder and lightning, but it was clear as a bell. And what he said was, George, look at all the doors I've opened for you over the last two years. This is what I want you to do. And so the next morning I got up and I said, Molly, this is what we need to do. Now, one of the beautiful things about Molly was that I could come up with really harebrained ideas, and Molly always supported me. She never looked at me. I can never remember a time when she looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? She was always, well, if that's what you think, then let's, let's go do it. We'll make it happen. So we moved to Charleston, and we started General Engineering Laboratories. And that was in February 1981. The next milestone is May the 2nd, 1982, when our son John Christian was born. He was not expected, he was a surprise, but he was a blessing. Just an incredible, vibrant, young, young baby, and, and his life was good. General Engineering Laboratories was starting to grow. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. It takes, when you start a business, it takes a few years for it to get off the ground. But Border Mission, which company am I talking about? GEL really started growing, and we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. If you remember back in the early 80s, that's when the environmental regulations really started taking hold. And so GEL uh, had phenomenal success. Three kids, and then on December the 28th, 1984, tragedy struck our family. John Christian wandered out the back door and into the creek behind our house and drowned. When something like that happens, your life ends. You don't go continue on as you did before. You hit a dead end. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to turn away from God because I can't accept a God that would let something like that happen? Or you make a decision that I can't get through this without God. We were so fortunate to be in a church family and to be surrounded by friends, many of whom are here in this room today, who loved us and cared, us, cared for us and brought us through what I call the dark soul of the night. It was like you were in a dark tunnel. When, when that happened to me, it was like somebody had kicked me in the gut and knocked the wind out of me. It's, it's a, you, you want to, you, you keep thinking, I'm having a bad dream, I'm having a nightmare, I'm going to wake up and this hasn't really happened. But it has happened. And we were very, I don't, I don't think we could have gotten through that. The, the door, divorce rate for families who lose a child is over 70% because of the stress. But our family actually came together because we had the Lord in our lives at that time. We also had a business that we had to keep running. We had no choice. We had to keep going with that business. And so um, we experienced incredible, uh, phenomenal success in that business. It wasn't our intent. Our thought was we'd grow this little business to kind of like what my dad's drugstore was. We could, I could support my family. But God had a different plan. That, that company grew 40% a year for many of the years that we were, uh, that we were part of it. If you do the math... Companies growing 40% a year doubles in size every two years. That's a roller coaster ride. And it was because this was God's company.
understand. He had a plan for us that we really didn't fully understand. But we had a culture in that company of, of giving back to the community. And so we encouraged our uh, employees to, to get involved in community activities, like go to the shelter or help out uh, at the food bank or, or, or adopt a highway. And so this brings me now to another milestone, November, early November, 1998. And I was on my way home from a, a meeting in Atlanta. I was listening to the news and um, a hurricane, Brian mentioned it, Hurricane Mitch, was a Category 5 hurricane, had hit Honduras and uh, Nicaragua. And the problem with that hurricane was that it hit and stalled. And there were days and days of torrential rains and mudslides, and entire villages were being washed down the hill into the, into the ocean. They estimated that 11,000 people on day two were missing and presumed dead. And this is the second time when I felt like I heard the Lord. And this time it wasn't quite so audible. It was just kind of a, a feeling, a thought. And, and, and what, it was, what it said was, uh, you need to do something. And honestly, I had no interest. I was running a company that was a white-knuckle ride. I had my hands full. But I knew that I couldn't ignore that. And so I got back to my... Uh, office, and this is early days of email, and, um, and I'd been a Christian now for um, 15, 20 years, maybe 15 years, and um, I had a pretty good walk with the Lord, but I wasn't far enough along in my walk with the Lord to understand that I could not play games with God and win. And so, um, so I got to my office, and um, I had met through our daughter Jenny, who spent two years in Honduras. I had met the Episcopal Bishop of Honduras. It's the only person I knew in Honduras. And so I sent him an email. And it was a one-liner. It said, what can we do to help? We know a little bit about water. <clears throat> and I pushed the send button. And I looked up and I said, okay, Lord, I've done my part. I figured that'd be the end of it. Because I knew Honduras didn't have any electricity. Because they were, in a, they were in a hurricane. And they didn't have electricity in the best of times, much less during a hurricane. So, okay, I've done my part. And I turned the computer off and went home. And I came back the next morning, and you, you know what's coming. I turned my computer on, and there's an email from Bishop Friday. And it's also a one-liner. It says, we need six drinking water units. Well, you, how would an Episcopal bishop in Honduras know that he needs six drinking water units. I mean, he, he, he might have asked, for, we need help, we need food, we need clothing, we need whatever, but to ask for six drinking water units, I printed that email off, and I went down to Molly's office, and um, I said, I think we better respond to this. But we couldn't find, we, we tried to buy six water systems to send to Honduras, but we couldn't find them. They didn't exist. Actually, there was one that we found that the Army uses, it's a, it's a huge system, and it cost $250,000, and we were not going to buy six of those and send them to Honduras. So we pulled out a yellow pad back then. That's what engineers used to um, come up with ideas. And we sketched out a very basic water system that was based on, on how we respond to a hurricane here in Charleston. 
we said, when a hurricane hits here, it takes about a week or so for us to get back up on our feet. And we said, okay, Honduras is a developing country. They're not going to respond quite as fast. So let's build something that'll last about um, six months. And while we're out building six water systems, and these are parts that just came from Lowe's and the hardware store, Molly's on the phone with Senator Strom Thurmond arranging to have a, a, an Air Force C-5 fly into Charleston. And at the same time, the mayor, Mayor Riley, and all the churches, St. Philip's, other churches in Charleston, this is why I love Charleston. Whole, whole city got behind this thing. And within two weeks of the hurricane, we had six water systems, 17 people from, water, from, uh, from um, GEL, and um, 50 tons of supplies that were provided by churches and civic groups in Charleston. And we were in Honduras, and it changed our lives. That was our introduction to what today we call the global water crisis. So we came back from that. We spent Thanksgiving 1998 in Honduras, putting those six water systems in communities that didn't have water before the hurricane. And so we came back from that trip and we thought, wow, there's, there's an opportunity here for gen general engineering laboratories. Let's start a new profit center and we'll put water systems in developing countries around the world. We began to learn that this is a problem that is not just in Honduras. It's, it's, an, it's a problem that's common in developing countries. And we did that for two years. We put more water systems in um, in Honduras, we put water systems in El Salvador after an earthquake, in Turkey after an earthquake, Mozambique after uh, flooding. All these were in response to uh, natural disasters. But it just didn't work well. It didn't fit with the environmental business. The environmental business was, was growing, continuing to grow, and just was a wonderful business. But we weren't doing work internationally. But during those two years, Molly and I were drawn towards working with these water projects in developing countries. Honestly, um, I, it, GEL had gotten to the point where it was a large government contractor. And um, it was just more fun, honestly, to be in a developing country where you didn't have to deal with regulations. All you got to do is build a water system that'll make clean water. And, and you're changing people's lives. And so that brings me to the next milestone, and that was the last uh, Saturday in September in 2000. And Molly and I agreed that we would take, some of you are old enough to know what I mean when I say take the phone off the hook. And so we took the phone off the hook, and we um, had the Bible with us, and we prayed and read, saying, Lord, what do you want us to do with our lives? And by the time we got to the end of the day, we felt the Lord was saying, it's time to get out of the environmental business and go focus on water in developing countries and disasters. Well, that was, a, it was just a, a really a, a relief, a, a great experience that, to get some direction. Now you've got to figure out how do you make that happen. Well, okay, over the next several months, we needed to, we realized, well, we, we can't do this and keep GEL. We've got to sell GEL. And we were very fortunate to be able to sell GEL to Jim Stelling, who was working at GEL. And the beauty of that was 
it was a seamless transition for the company and for the employees because Jim knew the culture and the culture didn't change. And that company continues to thrive today and that's another story that Jim can tell you because he continues to run a first class company. Then the next question is, well, how are we gonna do this? Are we gonna set up another for-profit company? Or are we gonna set up a nonprofit? Well, it, we knew it needed to be a nonprofit because it, it doesn't work in a for-profit environment. Is it gonna be a humanitarian organization or is it gonna be a Christian ministry? It's gonna be a Christian ministry because honestly, if we didn't feel like the Lord was calling us to do it, we wouldn't be doing this. And so Water Mission was set up as a Christian engineering ministry to provide access to safe water and share the gospel with people in need. Back in 2000, the estimate was that people in need were about a billion people. About a billion people, it's enormous. Can you imagine a billion people who don't have access to safe water? And when I say don't have access to safe water, I don't mean that they can't go into their bathroom and turn on a tap, I mean they walk Back then, the, the uh, definition of access, I think, was uh, a kilometer to a source of safe water. Impacted a billion people. And so that was the beginning of Water Mission. And Water Mission began to grow. And uh, when we started, everybody said, pretty much everybody that was working in, the, in that um, sector would say, well, safe water is not feasible because safe water requires treatment. If there's contaminants in the water, you have to remove them. And water treatment is too complicated for people in a developing country to operate and maintain. These people don't read and write. They're making a dollar a day. There's extreme poverty. Well, our job as engineers is to provide safe water. Why would we provide water to somebody that was going to make them sick? So the standard was always safe water. Safe water is defined by EPA. That's why you can drink the water in the, out of the tap and anywhere you go in the United States. So that was our standard. And our job was to design whatever the treatment system was required to remove whatever contaminants might happen to be in the water and design it in such a way that it could be operated and maintained by people who don't read and write who've never seen a pump before, who've never seen a pipe, don't know anything about this kind of stuff. And so um, over the years, about 10 years, people began to see that our water systems were working, still working after all these years. And people began to come and say, hey, maybe you could help me. Could you show me what you're doing? And we began to see that we had an opportunity to be a resource to other organizations that were out doing what we're trying to do. Now, here's an interesting dynamic in the nonprofit world that does not exist in the for-profit world. In the nonprofit world, other organizations that are out there doing what I'm doing are not my competitors. They're my partners. They're trying to accomplish the same thing I'm trying to accomplish. So that to the extent that I can help them, I'm accomplishing my mission. And so we began to see Water Mission have an opportunity to be a resource to other organizations, but Water Mission wasn't created to do that. And so it was a struggle for us to keep implementing projects and be a resource to other organizations. And that's when the idea of this other organization that we talk about and pray at St. Philip's for every Sunday 
we call the Global Water Center came to be. And, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more about the Global Water Center if time permits. And so far, um, that might not happen today. So, um, so that brings me to um, the next milestone. And that's July the 17th, 2019. Our family was on family vacation in the Bahamas, where we've gone for many, many years. Everybody was there. It was a beautiful day. And George and I were out in the back working on um, the, the generator. And Molly came out with two of our grandchildren and told me she was going to take the kids down to the beach, gave me a kiss, and said goodbye. And that was the last time I saw her alive. When John Christian died, it was like somebody kicked me in the gut. When Molly died, it was like my heart had been ripped out. Years ago, Molly and I went to a marriage retreat. And one of the things that we learned from that retreat was uh, that husbands and wives should pray together. And we came home from that retreat and said, that sounds like a good idea. So we developed a habit of ending the day every, every night. We missed a few nights, but every night, generally, we would kneel down by the side of the bed and hold hands and pray. And one of those prayers was, Lord, make us one in you. Jesus, be at the center of our marriage and make us one in you. And God answered that prayer. Now, there were times, and I, I commend that to you. The reason I told you that is because I'm suggesting that you might consider that if you're married and, and you haven't and you don't do that. There were times when um, Molly and I weren't being very nice to each other. And honestly, it didn't feel like kneeling down and holding hands. But it was a discipline, and honestly, there were times when we weren't holding hands. There were times when you just agreed, okay, we'll just touch fingers. <laughs> and, but it's hard to go to bed and pray together and go to bed mad at each other. And so God honored that. God gave us 49 years together, and Molly was my best friend. She was, she was my wife. She was the love of my life. She was my business partner at GEL for 20 years. She was my ministry partner for 20 years in Water Mission. She was the person that I could sit down with at night at dinner, frustrated about something that I just, somebody had done something or I'm, I just don't have an answer. And Molly just cut to the quick and she knew the answers and she could, always encouraging. And now that's gone. And... Um, about two weeks after Molly died, I was sitting up in my office at home, and I was talking to Terrell Glenn. And Terrell, many of you know Terrell. Terrell actually walked with our family through the dark time when John Christian died. And Terrell was sitting there, and, and I said, Terrell, uh, <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time understanding uh, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a verse that people like to tell you about when something really bad happens. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. I said, I'm having a hard time figuring out how God's going to make this work to my, for my good. And Terrell said, um, George, 
you can't read just Romans 8.28. You have to read Romans 8.28 and 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, get this, here's the punchline, to be conformed to the image of his son. Y'all, I've read Romans so many times, I can't count them. But I tell you, when I read it that one time, I, it was as if I'd never seen it before. It jumped off the page. I thought, oh my gosh, God, God is going to conform me to the image of his son. He's got a long ways to go. And, and I understand now why I'm still here. But I will tell you that for two and, three and a half years now, I've come to firmly believe, I've learned so much over the past three and a half years because I've been surrounded by people like you who love me, who speak the truth to me, who tell me, don't ask why, ask now what? Because if God gets you up in the morning, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to conform me to the image of Jesus because that's who I'm going to be spending eternity with. And so... I commend that to you. So anyway, we were talking, Terrell and I were talking and a little bit more and, and, I, and the conversation moved on to Water Mission and, and Global Water Center and I said, I'm done. I'm out of the game. I don't have it in me. And then we talked a little bit more and, and I said, you realize, Terrell, when we started doing this 20 years ago, the estimate was a billion people lacked access to safe water. Today, that number is 2 billion. It's twice as bad today as it was 20 years ago. And it's not just an inconvenience. It kills people. And I told Terrell, every day, every day, statistics, these aren't my numbers. These are coming from the United Nations. They're coming from World Health Organization and other reputable organizations. The estimate is that 2,300 people die every day from a waterborne disease. When I said that, Terrell was sitting back in his chair, and when I said that, he got a startled look on his face, and he sat up in his chair, and he said, George, do you realize what you just said? You just told me that every day, 2,300 families enter into the same kind of grief you're in right now, and God's given you an opportunity to do something about it. You can't quit. It was a wake-up call for me. And I realized at that point, and I realize every morning when God wakes me up, I, the first thing I do is say, good morning, thank you for waking me up. Please use me today to do something that will help people and allow you to conform me to the image of your son. So that's... Um, those are the major milestones, and um, I think I've got maybe two minutes to give you a brief update on Water Mission and Global Water Center. So Water Mission, now 20 years old, is um, actively engaged in disaster response. We're a major, major disaster response in the Ukraine that's ongoing. Also in uh, um, Puerto Rico. Is it Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico and Pakistan, and we continue to be working in, um, in the Bahamas. We estimate that, um, I don't know, seven million people maybe are drinking safe water today because of water mission projects. <clears throat> but if you subtract seven million from two billion, 
you're left with two billion. <laughs> and so that brings me to the Global Water Center. The Global Water Center was created two years ago. It's a bywater mission to put an end to the global water crisis. Now that's an audacious goal. In fact, some would say it's impossible, but it's necessary. People are dying. And so the mission of Global Water Center is to take two billion and make that number zero. How do we do that? We do it by getting all the organizations to work together. Today they're not. And so we incentivize collaboration. There's a technical term for that. It's called collective action. It's getting people to work together, but not just sit around a table and talk. Sit around a table, figure out a plan, and go do it. Second is to get people to work to standards. Standards that when we say safe water, we know what that means. Standards that when we build a water tower, we know it's going to stay standing and not fall over and kill people. All sorts of standards that don't exist today, but we have. We use them in this country, so let's get people to use them in other countries. Now, if I agree to, do a, to meet standards, but I don't know how, I just set myself up for failure. So part three of the Global Water Center is a global learning platform. It's, a, it's an online platform that offers courses to people around the world to teach them how to do projects that will meet the standards and be sustainable. And then the fourth and final part of Global Water Center is to um, monitor those projects. We call it monitoring, evaluation, and response. God is using water to take the gospel into places it's never been before. It's an absolutely amazing thing. And the technology we have today that we didn't have 10 years ago, today I can monitor a water project anywhere in the world on my cell phone because of the technology that exists for us today. And so the Global Water Center is all about helping global organizations work together, work to standards, teach them how to work, meet those standards, and then monitor to confirm that they are making those standards. It's an amazing opportunity. It's uh, exciting to see how many we can impact people's lives. And I think I'm going to stop with that and invite you all to come and learn more about Water Mission Global Water Center. We're just up the road here, so please come and be a part. And it's great to see people who've volunteered for us in the past here. Come on back. Thanks so much.